You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, February 5th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. For their generous support of KVMR, we thank Natural Selection, a local mom-and-pop grocery store in downtown Grass Valley, featuring organic produce, local goods, freshly prepared food, also beer and wine. Online shopping with curbside pickup available, naturalselectiongrocery.com. On tonight's newscast, NPR headlines and the California report from KQED, followed by local news and weather. Then Felton Pruitt interviews musician and artist Terry Allen, who organized Food for Love, a virtual concert on February 13th, benefiting New Mexico's food banks. The event features Jackson Brown, The Chicks, Lyle Lovett, David Byrne, and Steve Earle. Then, incoming KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with outgoing News Director Paul Emery. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. New research from Columbia University estimates nearly 120 million people in the U.S. have already been infected with the coronavirus. That amounts to more than a third of the population. The share is even greater in some states. NPR's Nareed Eisenman has more. The researchers, led by Jeffrey Shaman at Columbia University, came up with these estimates by building a mathematical model of the pandemic's spread. It's not public, but they've shared it with NPR. Their finding? In North Dakota and Illinois, around half of people have likely now had an infection. Shaman says that's enough to suggest these states could be approaching some degree of herd immunity. But in states such as Oregon, Maine, and Vermont, less than 16% have contracted the virus. In Hawaii, it's just 3%. And in most states, about a third have been infected, not remotely enough to prevent further spread. Nareet Eisenman, NPR News. With new monthly jobs numbers continuing to show only modest improvement heading into the new year, President Biden and his economic team continue to push the message more needs to be done. Administration officials in interviews and TV appearances saying the current pace of recovery, the U.S. would not return to full employment for a decade. And Biden said lawmakers need to act now on his proposed $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief measure. Biden, who's pushing for more fiscal stimulus, saying real-life people are hurting, but he noted that problem can be fixed. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta says statewide mask mandates can result in lower growth rates for in terms of COVID-19 hospitalizations. Member station WABE in Atlanta, Sam Whitehead reports the agency says the more people who wear masks constantly and correctly, the higher the prevention benefit. CDC researchers looked at how fast hospitalizations rose at 10 different sites in states that issued mask mandates from March 1st through October 17th of last year. They found weekly hospitalization growth rates declined by 5.5 percentage points after three weeks for adults aged 18 to 64. That's compared to the four weeks prior to the mandate being implemented. Researchers say mask wearing is especially important to stop asymptomatic spread of COVID-19 and, as part of a multi-layered approach, can slow the spread of the coronavirus and reduce strain on healthcare systems. 
For NPR News, I'm Sam Whitehead in Atlanta. After being stripped of her committee appointments over remarks she made before being elected, Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene is lashing out at Democrats. Greene in a post on Twitter calling those who voted her out morons and saying not being on committees will actually give her more time to talk to people. Last night, House Democrats joined by 11 Republicans voting to kick Greene off two committees because of her past remarks concerning debunked conspiracy theories and support for threats of violence against Democrats. On Wall Street, stocks ended the week on an up note. The Dow closed up 92 points. The Nasdaq rose 78 points today. This is NPR. Saudi Arabia has released on bail two jailed activists who hold dual U.S. citizenship. They were detained on terrorism-related charges. NPR's Jackie Northam explains a third dual citizen has had his sentence reduced. The conditional release of two Saudi U.S. nationals and the reduced sentence of a third comes as the Biden administration increases pressure on Saudi Arabia over its human rights record. The three men were jailed for disobedience against the kingdom's rulers, among other charges. During his campaign, President Biden pledged to get tough on Saudi Arabia. The administration says it welcomes the decision about the three men and will continue to advocate for a quick resolution to their cases. It also repeated its call to release political prisoners, including women's rights activists, from Saudi jails. Jackie Northam, NPR News. The U.S. Coast Guard and several other agencies successfully rescued a total of 66 people stranded on ice flows in a bay in northeastern Wisconsin yesterday. Ice boats and helicopters were used to bring the people who were ice fishing safely to shore. The Coast Guard says three separate flows broke away after cracks developed between the shore and groups of people. They say the situation was exacerbated by winds associated with an approaching winter storm that pushed the flows further from shore. It took four hours to complete the rescue. No one was hurt. Two helicopters from Traverse City, Michigan, assisted in the rescue effort, along with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. Critical futures prices closed higher today. Oil buoyed by expectations, major producers will hold the line on production. Oil was up 62 cents a barrel to 56.85 a barrel. I'm Jack Spear, NPR. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin on Capitol Hill, where yesterday congressional representatives from the Bay Area condemned the enduring trauma caused by the Trump administration's family separation policy, a policy that's drawn shock and anger since coming to light in 2018. KQED's Michelle Wiley reports. While questioning the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, San Mateo Congresswoman Jackie Speer called separating families, quote, harmful traumatic and chaotic. She said federal officials knew forcible separations would traumatize children and had no plans to address the harm. So it was a a truly callous act uh, within the Department of Justice in not stepping in and providing uh, some kind of mitigation. Under Trump, border officials separated more than 5,000 children from their parents. Earlier this week, President Joe Biden established a task force to reunite hundreds of families who remain separated. For the California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley. Recent labor laws are revealing some glaring inequalities in the state's arts sector, as small arts groups struggle to comply with the new rules while coping with the fallout from the pandemic. KQED's Chloe Veltman reports. 
The arts sector has long relied on a freelance workforce, so it's been challenging for small non-profits in California to adapt to AB5, the labour law that's meant to give workers more benefits by preventing employers from misclassifying them as contractors in order to save money. <coughs> Nevertheless, San Jose Taiko Executive Director Wisa Uemura says she welcomes the shift. I like the idea that we're being held more accountable and we have to be more careful. But converting a contractor to an employee increases payroll costs by about 30%, according to a new research report about the California arts sector and labor laws. And that's devastating for some of the state's roughly 2,000 small performing arts groups, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic has decimated their already meager bottom lines. And it is a point of crisis. That's Martha Demson. She's the producing artistic director of Open Fist Theatre Company in Los Angeles. After AB5 became law, Demson says she couldn't afford to put artists she used to hire as freelancers on payroll. So instead, she made them volunteers. A long-time volunteer herself, the director says it was a desperate act of survival and hopefully temporary. The idea that you would be an all-volunteer organisation smacks of privilege. How many people can give their time for no compensation? Brenna Salmon says she certainly can't. Salmon is an up-and-coming musical theatre artist in the San Francisco Bay Area. She used to get paid as a freelance contractor for her musical theatre work. But since AB5, Salmon says potential employers have only been able to offer expenses. Just because of that, I wasn't able to even audition. Financially, it didn't make sense. Salmon has a day job which affords her some financial stability, but she says she knows many early career performers who've had to leave California since the small companies that once provided paid professional opportunities are now asking artists to work for expenses or less. I think it really creates a lot of inequity because there are so many people that just can't afford to do shows for free. For some organisations, turning contractors into volunteers is simply unthinkable. Ophelia's Jump is a theatre group near the San Gabriel Mountains that focuses on underrepresented voices and narratives. Co-founder Beatrice Casagran says asking artists to volunteer their time would undermine the company's diversity-focused mission. Because I think that message is exactly the wrong message. To meet payroll costs, Casagrande had to drastically scale back operations and would like to see the state's labour laws change so small companies like Ophelia's Jump have more flexibility. Finding something that would allow us to pay artists on a fee-based contract rather than as hourly workers would be the way to go. Pushback from parts of the creative sector has led to a law that now allows some arts workers to freelance. But Lorena Gonzalez, the San Diego Assemblywoman who introduced AB5, is wary of exempting more employers from compensating workers properly. There is a need to professionalize the arts in a way that people can make a real living off of it. And we've got to come to terms with ways in which that can be done. But a fundamental shift is needed to solve the equity issues that have long kept careers in the creative industries out of reach for those who can't afford to work for very little or for free. For The California Report, I'm Chloe Veltzman. Support for The California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering professional-grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary, personalcapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere.
and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's weekly magazine. This week, host Sasha Coca tells us about L.A.-based artist and filmmaker Colleen Smith, whose work explores the ideas of utopia and black joy. Smith's experimental film, Sojourner, features a group of women in brightly colored outfits gathering as the sun rises in Joshua Tree. They're tuning into a transistor radio to hear the words of black women activists from the past. We reject pedestals, queenhood, and walking 10 paces behind. To be recognized as human, levelly human, is enough. Smith says her work is about helping audiences literally tune into that kind of wisdom. The actual manifestation of change has always been the work of women. And I just wanted it to be really visible that Black women have been imagining a better world. And not only imagining it, but making it so. From the ashram in the Santa Monica Mountains, started by Alice Coltrane, to the folk art of the Watts Towers, Smith's work celebrates utopias, places built to foster generosity and tenderness, and dare we say it in these times, even joy. And that is the California Report for this Friday, February 5th. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Holly J. McDeed, and Alice Wolfley. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Vinny Tong is KQED's director of news. Ethan Lindsay is our executive editor. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. In our local weekend weather for the Nevada City Grass Valley area, Saturday and Sunday are expected to be sunny with light winds and highs around 60 degrees and lows in the mid-40s. The forecast for the rest of the week is for partly cloudy skies with high temperatures near 60 and lows in the mid-40s. The next possible precipitation in the forecast is a chance of rain a week from Saturday. In Truckee, Saturday is forecast to be sunny with a high of 51 and a low of 19. Sunday is expected to be mostly sunny with a high of 50 degrees and a low of 23. The forecast for the rest of next week in Truckee is partly cloudy skies with highs in the mid-40s and lows in the mid-20s. There is no precipitation in the Truckee forecast for the next seven days. Sacramento is expecting a warm, sunny Saturday with a high of 65 and a low of 36. The forecast for Sunday is mostly sunny with a high of 66 and a low of 38. There is no precipitation in the forecast for Sacramento for the rest of the week. Caltrans is advising that fresh powder and mild weather will mean heavy traffic and major travel delays in the Sierra during the Super Bowl weekend. Over the last week and a half, the Truckee and Tahoe areas have seen a significant amount of snowfall. The fresh powder and anticipated warmer temperatures are expected to draw crowds to ski resorts and casinos. Motorists traveling on Interstate 80 and Highway 50 should expect significant traffic and travel delays. 
Ski resort parking lots are expected to fill quickly given lower capacity requirements during the COVID-19 pandemic. Official sources have not identified a woman armed with a knife who was shot and killed Thursday by a Nevada County Sheriff's deputy in Alta Sierra. The district attorney's office is taking the lead in investigating the officer-involved shooting near Alta Sierra Drive and Names Drive to determine if the force used was justified and lawful. The DA's office put out a news release Thursday stating that during the incident, members of the Nevada County Sheriff's Office had contact with a female adult who was armed with a knife. One deputy fired his service weapon at the female adult and she died as a result. The Sacramento Bee quoted Andrew Trigg, spokesman for the Nevada County Sheriff's Office, as saying the woman was taken to a hospital. About 4 p.m., the Nevada County District Attorney's Office announced that the woman died. Sheriff Shannon Moon stated on the County Sheriff's Facebook page that no deputies were injured in the incident. Sheriff Moon also shared her, quote, heartfelt condolences with the friends and family of the young woman, unquote. The shooting Thursday occurred shortly after 1 p.m. The woman, who was thought to be in her mid-30s, was reported to be walking with two small children. According to a sheriff's press release, the reporting parties advised that she was possibly under the influence, and several deputies responded. The children are in the custody of Child Protective Services. In response to reports of record levels of illegal dumping and littering in Nevada County, the Department of Public Works has launched an aggressive anti-litter public education campaign targeting the county's 100,000 residents. The campaign, called I Love a Clean Nevada County, is using ads on social media sites to reach county residents with anti-litter messages. In addition, vehicle and receptacle stickers will encourage residents and businesses to keep the county clean. David Garcia, the county solid waste program manager, said, We are asking Nevada County residents to do their part by properly disposing or recycling their trash, including empty beverage containers. The county is also stepping up enforcement of its littering ordinances. Littering and unsecured loads are a misdemeanor, and any law enforcement officer can issue a citation. The minimum fine for littering is $500 for first offenders, and it could cost up to $1,000 and include six months in jail for additional violations. Residents may report illegal dumping through the county's website, mynevadacounty.com. The Nevada County Board of Supervisors will conduct its next meeting remotely starting at 9 a.m. Tuesday. The meeting is broadcast live on Nevada County Media Channel 17 in Western County and on Sudden Link Channel 78 in Eastern County and also at mynevadacounty.com slash board meetings. If you're unable to view the meeting on television or via the web, you can call in to listen live. The method for doing so can be found on the My Nevada County website. Coming up next, Felton Pruitt talks to Terry Allen about a star-studded virtual benefit Allen is organizing for next weekend. We're talking with Terry Allen about the new star-studded concert, which is a benefit to help feed New Mexicans. With the pandemic and everything, New Mexico's always been hungry, and it's always been kind of 
bottle as a totem pole as far as you know when it comes to poverty and, and hunger. But with COVID, it's really just out of hand. And so, Joe Harvey and I, my wife, I did a. It was a concert they did in Austin for all of the clubs and the people that worked in clubs and musicians that were out of work. So I played on that. We thought, you know, it'd be great if we could put, do some kind of a concert, do something to help raise some money for the food banks in, in New Mexico, which are in, in dire need. So that's a group of people. We got together and we started talking about it and uh, just got on the phone and started talking to musicians and asking people, and it just kind of escalated from that, you know, kind of snowballed. And uh, now we're doing this concert. It's a virtual concert, and it's free. It'll be on uh, Valentine's Eve, the 13th, and I think Pacific time, it'll start about 4 o'clock. There's over 60 musicians. Uh, the governor's behind it here. So it's something that's, that's really blossomed into an incredible event, and we've already raised a lot of money just by people hearing about it. And all of the money, 100% of it, every dollar uh, is going to the food banks to be distributed to people that need it all over the state. And um, we had a, one of the people that joined in with us on this is paying all expenses, just nuts and bolts stuff, you know, secretarial kind of website stuff. So that's enabled us to use every, you know, every penny that comes in that's donated goes to uh goes to where it's needed. And uh, $1 is up to four meals. So, you know, you give $10, you get 48 people that are given to people. So I hope everybody kind of tunes in and, and watches it. It'll be about a five-hour show. We've got really great people on it. Uh, well, James, James is on it. Lyle Lovett, Jackson Brown, The Chicks, Steve Earl, Rodney Crowell. Alejandro Escovito, Ray Wiley Hubbard, Flatlanders, on and on and on, and uh, Kurt Vile. So it's, it's a real range of people, a lot of New Mexico people, Eliza Gilkerson, Bill Hearn, DDAP, which is this incredible band from the Navajo Nation. So, you know, that's about it. Felton, uh, just try to encourage you, everybody to... Uh, listen and tune in it's, it'll be on uh, you can get it on our website which is foodforlove.org when it comes up you'll see how to watch YouTube is where, where it's going to watch and it'll be up for about 48 hours afterwards so you can if you miss some of it you can watch it and also there's a donation button which uh, we're helping everybody push us this is just an excellent lineup. It is a truly a star-studded concert. Were you in charge of getting a hold of most of these people? I mean, you see Jackson Brown, David Byrne, pretty yeah, big names here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, there are people that I've crossed tracks with and friends over the years. That's one advantage of being, you know, an old part. You cross tracks with a lot of people over a period of time. And uh, but the thing too is that you know all you have to say really was like, well, we're trying to raise some money for some food in New Mexico, which is in dire need, pieces come in. You know, it's like, 
that's one thing that's amazing always about musicians, I think. No matter what dire straits they find themselves in with this virus, you know, they have immediately jumped on the idea of helping somebody else out. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great lineup, and, and everybody kind of went the distance on their songs that they sing. So it's going to be an amazing show. Everybody, I think, I think will love the show. Well, we're talking with Terry Allen, who is one of the people that has put together the star-studded concert. It's happening Saturday, February 13th. I guess you said starting around 4 o'clock California time, and you go to foodforlove.org. And uh, it'll also be on uh, Facebook. Well, Terry, thanks, thanks a lot for spending a little time with us, and I sure look forward to when we actually you know, see musicians going and touring the country again and coming to our clubs. See actual human faces, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, and bottle to bottle. I know. Yeah. I hope so too, Felton. I hope we cross track soon. Yeah, it's been a long time, so we need to get this put together, hopefully before the end of 2021 sometime. Hopefully. You guys be safe until then. Alrighty, thanks. We've been talking with Terry Allen about the star-studded concert happening February 13th. You can go to foodforlove.org for more info. Next up, incoming KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with outgoing News Director Paul Emery. Paul, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm glad we have a chance to talk a little bit. I wanted to start off by asking you if you could just tell me the, the history of the KVMR News Department. Yeah, yeah. That, it goes back to about 96, okay? Mm-hmm. And I became program director in 1996. And, and one of the things that I was uh, dedicated to doing is to help implement a news department for KVMR. Before that, news kind of consisted of people reading newspapers during the morning shows and making snarky comments about their interpretation of the news. So I started it in 96 and while I was program director and got a bunch of volunteers and, and we started doing it. I think we started out doing it at 6.30 in the evening. Do you remember some of the old news directors? How many news directors has KVMR had? Well, I do, actually. I was the first one. And then um, I left, uh, oh, I guess in about 99 or something like that. Uh, Ended up working at the Center for the Arts as their artistic director. And and at, at that time, the first news director after me was Joan Buffington, good friend of mine, and she did it for a few years. Then Mike Thornton became our news director, and he was news director up until, I'm guessing, 08. And uh, yeah, and that was a really good time for the news. Mike was a good, hard-hitting news guy, good friend of mine. And uh, about that time, I was phasing out of the Center for the Arts, and he... Um, says, hey, you want to come and be a reporter on the news? And so, okay. So, well, Mike got another job by the end of the summer. Then uh, uh, somebody came in to be news director named Brian Behuth. And I loved working for Brian. I was his second. You know, he's got his master's in in uh, communications. And he was just a wonderful news director, great, hard-hitting. And I learned a lot from him. He did it for about a year. And then he uh, ended up uh, deciding to move back to Reno, and I became the interim news director at that point, and that was in '09. Well, <laughs> that lasted for 12 years. <laughs> 12 good years. 12 years as an interim news director, and that's the basic history of the, the, the news directors at KVMR. And now it's your job. What was more fun, being news director or being a reporter? 
Oh, probably being a reporter was more fun because you didn't have to have the responsibility for the whole thing. An awful lot of being news directors, you're an administrator. Right. And you're, you've got that every day, five days a week. Right. You've got a half hour. you got to put something in there, and it'll keep you awake at night if you don't have anything. I will admit to you, Paul, that although I just started, I've had the, the dream, right, where, oh, no, I did something wrong, and there's dead air on, on KVMR. Well, the one thing is with news, it's on once and it's gone. I remember... Uh, listening to the newscast, driving through town, and listening to a news story that I did, and I patted myself on the back. That was a good interview. That was really good. Guess what? It played again. <laughs> twice in a row. It played twice in a row. Oh, So but... good we played it twice. So, Paul, tell me how many newscasts and interviews have you produced as news director? Well, I'm guessing from 2009 when I became the interim news director to uh, just last week, I, I'm guessing about 2,200, 2,300 actual newscasts. That's four or five a week. Probably 4,500 interviews. I'm just guessing two a, you know, two a show, something like that. That's a lot of work. Paul, why don't you tell me what you think and hope the future for KVMR News is? Well, you know, I, I hope we keep going at the same level that we are, and I'm very confident that you're going to do a good job. Also, I think the future has a lot to do with technology, keeping up with technology. There are things now that weren't even in the radar you know, in the 90s, late 90s, when we started doing the news, there's technology and there'll be new technology. Um, there's all kinds of things. That really is the future for news is technology and, and you know, contributing our part to it, you know. Yes. Um, so, yeah, who knows? You know, Claudia, one thing I'd like to say about the, the, the newscast that you're taking over is that um, for years and years I've been doing this newscast with um, Felton and Charlotte as my helpers and as my vo uh, alternative voices and my reporters in the whole thing. And I just want to express my great thanks to them for the hard work that they've done to keep the newscast going all these years. Paul, thanks very much for sitting down and talking with me. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR-FM in Nevada City. The KVMR Evening News airs at 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back at 6 p.m. Monday.